So I'm just going to tell you up front, we're going to talk about today one of the most powerful and yet I think most uh, profound, challenging, difficult truths in all the Christian faith. It's one of those things that for people who aren't Christians or aren't church people, if you're one of those or if you can relate to that, whenever we talk about this, uh, your tendency will be to say, I knew Christians were crazy, this just confirms it, and I get that. I can't argue with that. Even some of us who are followers of Jesus, some of you are going to go, wait a minute, I've never been, heard that, nobody's ever taught me that, I'm not so sure Matt's right about this, and I understand that as well, but hopefully as we go through, uh, this will give you something to think about at least. So I thought, you know what, let's go ahead and tackle this, because it is Spring Forward Sunday, and anybody who shows up at 8 a.m. on that day is like the Navy SEALs of churchgoers. So if anybody can handle this, you guys can, right? So we're, we're going to jump into it. Here's why I want to tackle this and talk about it, though, in spite of the fact it's so challenging and it's so difficult. Uh, I grew up as a pastor's kid. Obviously, now I'm a pastor. And one of the things that uh, seat gives you the opportunity to see is the behind-the-scenes stories of what people are going through. Um, and I, this is not just unique to me, but in the role that I'm in, uh, I often know about some of the pain, some of the challenges, some of the difficulties that people are facing that maybe not everybody else knows about. And so over the years, I've had this front row seat to be able to watch as people deal with it in a lot of different ways when challenging, difficult times come. And here's what I've noticed. And, and for some of you, this is your story, and you would stand up if I gave you a microphone and an opportunity, and you could tell your story. And you would say, yep, what Matt's saying is absolutely true because it's been your life. I have noticed that there is a response that certain people, particularly followers of Jesus, there is a response that certain followers of Jesus have in the middle of difficult, trying, challenging times that tends to build their faith and at the same time seems so liberating to them, and yet it seems at odds and it just seems, it just seems weird to everybody else. It doesn't make sense. And people are like, I don't understand how you could respond that way, but... I really wish I could respond with the kind of trust and with the kind of, you know, rock-solid perspective you have in the midst of these difficult times. So, here, I'm just going to tell you the truth up front, this profound, incredibly challenging idea. I want to go ahead and introduce it to you up front, and uh, then we'll talk about it over the next few minutes. But as I've sat in a front-row seat watching people go through so many difficult things, here's what I've noticed certain people do that tend to make all the difference. They choose to receive their adversity as a gift from God. They decide, there's certain, I've just seen this so many times, there's certain followers of Jesus who are in the middle of, of tough times. They believe that they should choose to receive the adversity that they're experiencing as if it is a gift from God. They don't think it's caused by God, but they think it's allowed by God, and they think it's been filtered through God's hands. In other words, they just decide to believe Okay, I, I just think God's letting this come into my life. Yeah, they don't blame him for it. They don't think he caused it and he's the reason. But God's letting this come into my life. He could change it, but he's not. He's letting this come into my life as a gift. And it's for a very, very specific reason. And they just embrace that truth and they hold on to that truth. So what I want to do today is this. I want to introduce you to this idea. I'm not going to try to push you or force you, especially if you're in a difficult situation right now. My goal is not to push or force you to try to believe this or accept this because I don't think anybody can do that. I think that's something between you and God. I think you have to come to terms with that on your own. But I do want to introduce the idea to you. And then I want to give you an example of what this looked like in the life of someone in the New Testament. And then we're going to end today a bit different than we normally end. I just want to tell you up front. What I want to do at the end is I want to carve out 
just a little bit of time for you to process what you've heard. And for you, if you're in the middle of a really difficult situation, to talk to God about it. If you have some friends who are in the middle of a difficult situation, for you to have a moment to pause and to pray for them that they'll have the support and the grace and the strength and the encouragement that they need. I just thought it'd be great to carve out a little bit of time at the end for us to do that. So we'll do that at the very end today. But the reason I think this is so important to tackle is because it, it lends itself, this conversation does, to the bigger question that we're talking about through this series, which is, well, what do you do when there's nothing you can do? What do you do when you find yourself in one of these difficult circumstances where there's no way forward and there's no way out and you just feel like you're stuck, like you can't fix anything? Whether it's the marriage that didn't turn out the way you thought it would and you know, you're not going to end up in divorce or maybe you do decide to end up in divorce. But either way, it's just not what you envision your future being. Or you, know, you lose a loved one early and it's not what you envisioned it being. What do you do when your kids are going down a road and a path and you end up with a family dynamic you never envisioned but you can't fix it? You can't change it for the rest of your life. It's just, it is what it is. That's always going to be part of the story. What do you do when you find yourself in a, a custody situation you know, with your ex? And Again, you can't change that. You give any Thing just to be able to hit a reset button or, you know, to fix certain things about it or, re, you know, rearrange the arrangement, but you can't do that. It just is what it is, and you got to live with it. For some of us, it's financial situations where we're just stuck. There's nothing we can do to undo or unravel the mess that we made. We're going to just have to work our way through it and live with that the rest of our lives. For some of us, it's a health situation. Like what, what you have won't kill you, but they can't cure it. They can treat it, They can't fix it. It's just going to be debilitating. It's just going to be chronic. It's just going to be something that's a part of your story from this point forward. What do you, what do I do when we're in the middle of those situations where there's absolutely nothing we can do? There are some options that are very obvious to us all, and because we've all been there at different points, you get this. You understand this. The obvious options are we either run, you hide, you quit. You you try to medicate and kind of drown everything away, whether it's with alcohol or prescription drugs or illegal drugs. Like you just try to medicate your sorrows away. Some people go that route. Uh, The obvious options sometimes are we'll just be angry, be bitter, be resentful, be jealous. And I get that because isn't it true when you're in the middle of an in-the-meantime situation where there's nothing you can do, you suddenly notice all the people who have everything that you desperately want and can never have. It's so obvious. They've got kids. We can never have kids. And now it's like all your friends are getting pregnant. Or, you know, they've got a great marriage and this is what happened in mine. And, you know, it's just, you just notice everybody else, it seems like, has the thing that you want. It's so easy to get jealous. It's so easy to get bitter and angry and resentful. That is natural. That is normal. The problem is that is not helpful. If you and I choose the obvious options then those roads lead us to believe some things that simply aren't true. They lead us to believe that, oh, I'll never be happy again. Well, my best days were behind me, and now with these current situations and circumstances, with these things I can't fix, well, that just means I'm never going to be happy the rest of my life, and nothing good's going to come from this. This is just something I'm going to have to bear with me. I'm ne- you know, it's just, there can't be anything positive come out of this. Now I'm just going to live, waking up every morning with the negative. And worst of all, there's no point in continuing. There's no point in trying to restore that situation or you know, rebuild that relationship or reconcile that deal. Like, there's just no point. It's, it just is what it is. There's no point in moving forward. And as I said last week, when you and I get to the point where we believe these things, it costs us something deeply. It costs us our joy costs us our hope. It costs us our purpose. And when you begin to live life without joy, hope, and purpose, then you're spiraling in the wrong direction quickly. So last week, if you remember, if you were here, I introduced you to three simple truths. And I told you up front, they are not emotionally satisfying if you're in the middle of an in-the-meantime moment. 
yet they are true, and there's something you have to work your way towards believing and holding on to when there's nothing that you can do. Those three truths were simply this, that God's not absent. His silence doesn't mean he's absent. That just because everything bad's going on in your life, it doesn't mean that God has abandoned you. He's not apathetic. He actually is paying attention. He does care. And God's not angry with you. It's a, you didn't do something wrong that, you know, he's punishing you with all the circumstances you're going through right now. But as I said, while these may be true, these are not emotionally satisfying. The only thing that I have found to be inspiring when you're in an in-the-meantime moment is a personal example. The only thing that I have found to be inspiring is when you can see or hear or watch the story of somebody else who responds in such a way that it gives you hope of a better future. And so that's why it's so, I think it's so, so important and it's so, so helpful to open up the New Testament and to begin to read the stories of the men and women uh, whose lives are recorded there. Because when you begin to read about these men and women in the New Testament there in the first century, they were no strangers to adversity. These were men and women who went through extreme in the meantime situations. These were men and women who many of them spent their entire lives in situations where there was nothing they could do, there was no way forward, no way out, and they dealt with suffering at some significant levels. And yet, this is what always shocks me when I read this. When you read about these men and women, all of their suffering, all of their pains, all of their difficulties did not diminish their faith. It actually deepened it. And the reason I find that so remarkable is because we respond the exact opposite today, many of us do. The norm today is, for followers of Jesus, when we run into difficulties that are too deep, that are too painful, that are too challenging, we tend to walk away from our faith. We start wondering, where's God? And I don't understand why you wouldn't. And, and you know, we let the doubt drive us away from our Heavenly Father. The exact opposite happened in the first century. All of the pain, all the difficulty, all the challenges, all the suffering, it, it just, for whatever reason, it drove them closer But I think it drove them closer because they chose to respond in a way. They chose to see their adversity and receive their adversity as a gift from their Heavenly Father. I'm not sure there's a better example of this than the Apostle Paul. And if you know much about his story, you know he didn't start out following Jesus until after the resurrection, the crucifixion and the resurrection. And after he tried to, you know, he actually was part of the reason that some of these early followers had the suffering that they did, experienced the pain that they did. Paul was the one inflicting that pain, and then he begins to follow Jesus. And what's remarkable to me about Paul is here's a guy who we can look at it today with hindsight, you know, 2020 vision and go, okay. I don't think there's anybody who's been more important in the movement of the Christian faith than that guy. That guy took this message of Jesus to the known world. He went all around the Mediterranean rim. He started dozens and dozens and dozens of churches. Like, there's a compelling case that can be made that we wouldn't be sitting here today if it weren't for Paul. But the reason I think Paul is a great example of what we're going to talk about is in spite of his importance, in spite of the huge role that God had him play in God's purpose in the world, he still experienced a physical ailment, and for him it was physical, a physical ailment that was both painful and permanent. It was humiliating, and it was debilitating to him. Now, we look at it from our perspective and go, that seems so unfair. If God's going to step in and take away the pain of anybody, he ought to take away the pain of Paul. I mean, look at what he's doing. Look at all the good work he's doing for you, God. You've got to step in. It's not fair to let him go through that. But I'm telling you, while we don't think it's fair, We wouldn't be sitting here today with the insight we have about how to walk through our in-the-meantime moments if it weren't for the fact that God wasn't fair and that he left this situation in Paul's life. 
So in the second letter that we have that Paul wrote to the believers in the city of Corinth, he actually talks about this with them. And part of the reason he talks about it is because they knew what Paul was going through. Paul had already been to Corinth. They had seen for themselves what he was dealing with. They had heard that he was continuing to deal with it. And so Paul decided, I need to address it because they're concerned about the pain I'm going through. And they're wondering why God's not solving and fixing my problem. And so I want to help them understand what I'm doing that they can do when they're in a situation where there is nothing to do. So here was the insight that Paul gave us. He said, therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given, I want to pause right here because this word is very interesting. The word Paul used that we translate given implies, Paul is implying, I was given an extremely good gift. Paul's basically saying to them, I was given a valuable gift. It's the same word that Paul would have used if he would have gotten up on Christmas morning and, you know, described some extraordinary gift that he found under the tree. Paul's saying, I was given this incredibly valuable gift. Now, we're going to talk more about why he would say that in a minute. But it makes you think, well, what kind of gift were you given that was so extraordinary? And here's how he describes it. I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Well, that doesn't make any sense, does it? This idea of a thorn carries the idea it was a constant, irritating, painful problem. This is what Paul's communicating to them. I was given this extraordinary gift. It was this constant, irritating, painful problem that tormented me. Literally, the word torment here means it beat me up day after day after day. It just kept punching me in the body. And it was, Paul says, a messenger of Satan. Now, we don't know exactly what that means. It could mean that Paul believed Satan caused this, caused Paul to have to experience this. Maybe Paul just meant, man, that hurt like the devil. I don't know what he meant by it, but you know it wasn't good. And scholars have debated for a long time, well, what exactly was this, you know, thorn in the flesh that Paul had? And there are some theories out there. Some people believe Paul had epilepsy because of some of the things that are said. Uh, Some people, uh, we know that Paul had some vision problems, that he couldn't see real well. And so some people believe that's what Paul's referring to. Some people believe Paul's referring to depression. And I'll just tell you, if I had gone through a tenth of what Paul had gone through in his life, I, I would be depressed. So maybe that was depression. I don't know what it was. The point is this. Whatever it was, it was bad. Whatever it was, it was a constant irritating pain that just beat Paul up. And yet here Paul is writing about it, and he's saying, I was given this thorn in the flesh, this extremely painful and permanent, humiliating, debilitating situation. It was such a valuable gift. Why in the world would Paul describe it this way? He's about to give us a little insight. Part of it is in this verse. See, here's what Paul believed. Paul believed his pain was a gift with a purpose. So Paul was looking at what he was experiencing, and he wasn't thinking, oh my goodness, this is just so random, and there's nothing good that will ever come out of this. No, Paul said, I've got a lot of pain. This is permanent. This is painful. This is humiliating and debilitating. But it has a purpose. And part of the purpose he tells us in the statement was so he wouldn't become conceited. This was Paul's way of saying, the work that God has given me to do is so extraordinary. And the platform that he has given me in terms of influence is so big. He's given me the opportunity, he's opened doors for me to make such an impact in the world with this message of Jesus. And I'm so grateful that he gave me this thorn in the flesh. Because the one thing that can derail God's purpose and plan for my life is my own conceit and my own arrogance. And as long as I've got this pain in my life, there's no way I'm going to be arrogant. As long as I've got this pain in my life, it forces me to be humble. It forces me to depend on my Heavenly Father. 
Now, I don't think we always know what the purpose is. But Paul would argue, if you're in the middle of an in-the-meantime situation, if you're dealing with something that's painful and permanent or humiliating and debilitating in some way to you, that you should know there's a purpose behind it. That there's more to it than just what you can see. He goes on. This is going to be encouraging for you because you read this first statement and you think, well, okay, I don't have that kind of faith. Like that just almost like pie in the sky where everything's just good. and you know, I, I don't view it that way. Well, Paul didn't either originally. Paul responded the exact same way we responded. When, when he began to experience this, he was praying the same prayers we pray. God, get rid of this. Take it away. Here's what Paul tells them. Three times, I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. Now, this isn't like three quick times. Paul's saying, there was a season of my life where this pain was so debilitating, I didn't think I was going to be able to continue and do what God had called me to do. So I prayed and I prayed and I prayed through that season and said, God, please take it away. I begged him to. And God said nothing. And God did nothing. And then there was a second season, and Paul said, I did the same thing. I just thought it was going to take me out, and I prayed and I prayed and I prayed, and God said nothing and did nothing. And then the third time, I thought, there's no way I can go forward. And I prayed and I prayed and I begged and I begged, and God finally said something. And again, we would expect God to say, Paul, you've been through so much, and you're doing such good work. You're so valuable to the cause. Like, let me take away these obstacles. Let me, let me make sure there's nothing there to slow you down. But that's not what God says. Here's what God told Paul. God said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. This is the only answer Paul ever got to his prayer request. God looked at him and he said, my grace for you is sufficient, and my power for you is complete in the middle of your weakness. These words, grace and power, they're really interchangeable. Grace is just the power to change. This was God looking at Paul saying, there's a gap in your life. There's a gap between what you can do and what you need to do. There's a gap between what you can handle and what you're facing. And I just want you to know, Paul, that my grace and my power and my strength are big enough to fill that gap for you. So you just need to lean in and trust me in the middle of your in-the-meantime moment. And so Paul came to believe that not only was his pain a gift with a purpose, but his pain was a gift with a promise. A promise that I'm not going to remove it, but I am going to see you through it. I'm not going to take it away. I'm not going to fix it, Paul. But I'm going to walk with you through this, and you'll never have to wonder, you'll never have to doubt whether I'm going to abandon you. My grace is sufficient for you. Now, Put yourself in Paul's shoes. You're Paul. What are you going to do? You're Paul. How are you going to respond? I mean, again, you're trying to take this message to the entire world, and you're dealing with something that's so painful and permanent, humiliating and debilitating that it stops you in your tracks at times. It makes the challenge of what you're doing so much more difficult. What are you going to do if you're Paul, and this is the message you get? Well, here's the conclusion Paul came to. And I would never force you or try to push you to arrive at this on your own. I think this is something that... You know, you have to work through with God and get to by yourself. But here's where Paul landed. He said, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. I'm going to boast all the more gladly about this gap that I have in my life. I'm not going to hide it. 
I'm not going to be embarrassed by it. I'm not going to try to keep it from people. I'm just going to let people know. I'm going to own it. I'm going to embrace it. And I'm going to let people know what I'm going through. I'm going to let people know what I'm facing. I'm going to let people know what I'm dealing with. Because if they see the gap, then they'll see the God in me who's filling the gap. If they know about the gap, then they'll understand as they see me move past the gap that that's not Paul. That's the power of God. That's the grace of God at work in Paul's life. There's an important thing here for us to understand. It's simply the idea that you can't experience Jesus' ability until you embrace your inability. And all I mean by that is this. As much as God wants to step into your gaps, as much as God wants to step into your pain or your difficulties or your frustrations and challenges, As much as God wants to meet you there and provide you with grace is sufficient to get through whatever it is you're going through. He will not do it until he's invited. He will not do it until you're willing to own the fact that there's a gap. And you stop trying to fill the gap yourself. You stop trying to to manage and manipulate and just power your way through. And you say, okay, there's only so much I can do. I'm going to do what I can do. But there's still a gap. God, I need you. The minute you own your inabilities, the minute you own, I can't change this, I can't fix this marriage, like we've done all we can do, we're going to counseling, we're doing this, we're doing but I can't fix it, I can't get it where it needs to go. I can't fix this relationship and this whole custody deal and this, you know, the complications with the money, I just can't fix all that. I can do my part and I need to do my part, but there's only so far I can go with it. The minute you realize and you acknowledge that there are some things that are out of your control, That's when you can begin to experience what only God can do. That's when he has the invitation and the open door to step into those gaps and to fill that gap with his grace and his power that is sufficient to carry you through. So, that's how Paul viewed something that was so painful and permanent, humiliating and debilitating. That's how he viewed something he lived his entire life with. Knowing there's no way forward, there's no way out, there's no way I can fix this. Paul chose to receive his adversity as if it was a gift from God. A gift with a purpose and a gift with a promise. So what does this mean for you and me? This is what I want to spend the next few minutes talking about. And you're going to have to figure out for yourself how you respond to this and, you know, what you do with this. I don't don't know what you need to do with it. But I think it's worth you processing. What does it mean for you when you're in the middle of an in-the-meantime moment to view things the way Paul viewed things? What does it mean when you believe with all of your heart that God can change the marriage, he can change the finances, he can change the career deal, he can change the kid's situation, he can change the health. God can, God can, God can, but he's not. What do you do? Well, you can't change your circumstance. But I think what Paul's inviting us to do is just change our perspective. You see, you can come to believe that your pain can be a gift with a purpose and a promise. You may never know what the purpose is. You may not know till the other side of eternity. Or you may be able to see right now, oh, there is a reason for that. You may see somewhere down the road as you look back, oh, I didn't know all that God was doing and the dots he was connecting and the way he was unfolding things and orchestrating things, but now I see why I'm dealing with that. Now I see why I'm going through that. You may or may not know, but you can have confidence there is a purpose. If it's been filtered through your heavenly father's hands, if he has allowed it in your life, not caused it, but allowed it, that he has a purpose for it.
and that he'll bring good out of it. But the other thing you can hold on to with full confidence is that your pain is a gift with a promise. And the promise from your heavenly father is the same as it was for Paul. That his grace is sufficient for you and his power will be made complete in the middle of your weakness if you will simply invite him in to fill that gap. If you will trust him to give you the strength and the power to continue. It's a gift. It can be. With a purpose, it can be a gift with a promise. Now, the reason I know that's true and I'm so confident in that is, again, I've just spent my entire life with a front row seat watching people deal with difficult circumstances in different ways. And for some of you, this is your story. You, you could tell this better than me. But I've watched so many people who in the middle of in the meantime moments go, you know what? I can't change this. I've done everything I know to do. Now I'm going to embrace it. I'm going to embrace it as if this adversity is coming from my Heavenly Father. And I'm going to thank Him for it. And I'm going to believe that there's a purpose in it. And I'm going to believe that He's going to be there with me through it. He may not remove it, but He will see me through whatever it is I'm going to face. And what they have experienced, this is what I've seen, what they have experienced on the other side is freedom. It's freedom. Not freedom from their circumstances, but freedom in the middle of it. And they will say things like this, and some of you know people who have said this, and you've thought, that is just so strange, because you knew what they were going through. You thought, nobody should feel that way. But they will say, I wouldn't wish this on anyone, but I wouldn't trade this for anything. I wouldn't, want, I wouldn't wish this on anyone. I wouldn't want anybody else to have to go through what I'm going through. But I wouldn't trade this for anything in the world. And the reason they say that is because of the freedom they have found. The reason they say that is because God's grace and his power in their life, it's become personal to them. And they're learning things about God, and they're growing in their relationship with their heavenly father in a way that they, they know they couldn't any other way than going through their in-the-meantime moment. I had this happen just this week. I was having a conversation with someone. And this person has been through some pretty traumatic things over the last several years. A few years ago, they went through a, a significant experience where in the middle of a very, very difficult time, they were abandoned by people who were really close to them. It created just extraordinary pain on top of the difficulty of the situation. Then there was all the pain of the abandonment and it felt like betrayal and there was so much anger involved and, you know, trying to figure out, well, why did that happen and why would people respond that way? And, you know, am I, am I such a bad person that the people who are closest to me wouldn't even lean in during this, you know, during this difficult time? And so for the last several years, this person was telling me they've been processing through this. They just couldn't understand why it happened. They couldn't understand why, why people would have walked away instead of stepping in. They couldn't understand why things couldn't change. And then they told me about a conversation they had this week. They were sitting with their counselor because that was part of what had come out of this, is they decided to go to counseling to try to process through all this. They were sitting with their counselor, and as they've been in counseling over the last few weeks, a few months really, what's come out is not only did they have to deal with abandonment issues from this in incident that happened, but they were having to go all the way back and deal with abandonment issues from when they were a kid. So they were processing through stuff all the way from childhood. And yet, as they were talking about this situation with the counselor, they, the counselor said to him, well, it just seems like that you're so, you're so angry and frustrated about people walking away from you. That after all these years, it still bothers you. And they're like, yeah, it still bothers me. And their counselor said this. 
Their counselor said, have you ever considered that maybe God allowed that to happen to get you where you are today, dealing with the things you're dealing with? And that person was telling me that when the counselor said that, they just lost it. Because all of a sudden they realized, oh my goodness, I've been viewing this as something terrible. The whole time God took something that, yeah, it was painful. But God took something that was incredibly painful and he used it for good. He got me in to a routine of going to see a counselor so I could not just deal with that situation. That's what I thought my problem was. But so I could deal with stuff that I would have never known was sabotaging my life if I hadn't gotten in to see somebody. And they began to have this conversation around all the good that had come out of this. Basically, what the counselor was saying to them was this. What if you paused and you chose to receive all of this adversity as a gift from your heavenly father? What if everybody walking away didn't mean God didn't care? What if it meant that he loved you so much that he wanted you to be healthy and healed? And it took that trigger to start the healing process. And the words that this person used is they, they didn't know I was going to talk about this Sunday. The words that they used were, uh, the counselor said, how do you feel now when they got them processing it all? And they looked at their counselor and said, I just feel so free. That's what happens. That's what happens. Now, I don't appreciate the fact the counselor is stealing all my material. However, they're right. They're right. And we kind of got a laugh out of saying, well, that's exactly what I'm talking about Sunday. How in the world does that all time up, you know? But the reason that counselor brought that up, I have no doubt, and I haven't had a chance to talk to them, but they're like me. They've had a front row seat to watch this happen, and they've seen people process this in different ways and get very different outcomes. And they know the path to freedom when you're in the middle of an in-the-meantime moment. The only way to be liberated from what's painful and permanent and debilitating and humiliating is... To choose on your own. Can't be forced to do it. On your own to choose. You know what? I'm going to embrace this adversity as a gift from my Heavenly Father. I'm going to believe that this pain is a gift with a purpose. It's a gift with a promise. So you have to figure out what you're going to do with that. But I'm telling you, I don't know of another road to freedom besides that one. Now, For some of you, for some of you, depending on how you grew up and if you went to church, what kind of church you went to and what you've been taught, this really rubs you the wrong way, and I understand that. And you've been arguing with me in your head the whole time, and the argument would basically, if I could sum it all up, would be this. Matt, you're wrong because you just don't have enough faith. If you just had enough faith, then God does whatever it is you need him to do, and he fixes all these things. He heals the people who have enough faith. He, He... fixes the marriages who have enough faith. He just, you know, know, he solves the financial problems who have enough faith. And if if something doesn't get fixed, if something goes wrong in your life and it doesn't change, well, that just means you didn't have enough faith, to which I would say to you, with all respect, you're absolutely wrong, but it's not your fault. You've just been taught that. But that's nowhere in the New Testament. When you open up and read the stories of these men and women who lived these lives in the New Testament, they lived with extraordinary adversity. They had bigger faith than any of us. And yet their situations, their in-the-meantime moments, they did not change. They, they were permanent. They lived with them their entire lives. Matter of fact, if you believe that, then you realize that it, someday you're going to have to look eye-to-eye with the Apostle Paul and go, Paul, 
You know, everything you wrote there to the Corinthians, the whole reason that thorn in the flesh didn't go away, Paul, you didn't have enough faith. Well, none of us would say that. Even worse, I'm just telling you, one day you're going to have to look at your Savior, my Savior, the Savior of the world, and go, Jesus, the reason the things happen in your life that happen in your life is because you didn't have enough faith. Because on the night of his arrest, he knows what's coming. He knows he's about to experience an in-the-meantime moment, a, a situation where there is absolutely nothing he can do. And he's sitting there in the garden praying, and here's how he describes it. Jesus said, Father, if you're willing, will you take this cup from me? See, Jesus wasn't any different than the rest of us. He was looking at the pain that was on its way, and he was going, God, I would love nothing more than for you to take this away. So if you're willing, because I know you're able. I mean, Jesus obviously had no issues of having confidence in his heavenly Father and what he was capable of doing. This wasn't about having enough faith. Jesus just said, I don't know if this is what's best. What I would love to see happen is for you to take this cup away. This cup's way worse than a thorn. This cup is going to be so painful, it takes my life. It takes my very breath away. But Jesus also knew that that pain came with a promise of forgiveness for all humanity. And that pain came with the purpose of a resurrection. He knew that was coming. And so even though he says, God, I'd love for nothing more than for you, Father, to remove this, he also says this, yet not my will, but yours be done. Yet not my will, but yours be done. You see, the secret to walking through any in the meantime moment and coming out free on the other side, the secret is actually surrender. The secret is in this, yet not my will, but yours be done. Now think about it. Aren't you glad that Jesus chose to surrender to the pain that was coming his way? Aren't you glad that our Heavenly Father didn't answer his prayer and take away the crucifixion? The whole reason we have hope and joy and purpose and forgiveness today is because of that moment. And I think when you and I are in the middle of an in-the-meantime moment, when you and I are dealing with something that's so painful and permanent, it's humiliating, it's debilitating, it's so difficult, I think when we're in the middle of those moments and we choose to surrender... We choose to say, okay, I don't like this, I don't want this. I'd give anything if you take it away, God. But I'm going to choose to surrender and embrace this adversity as a gift from you. A gift with a purpose and a gift with a promise. I think when we make that choice of surrender, that in some small way we begin to share in the sufferings of Jesus. And what we experience is the freedom we've been looking for all along. Not freedom from the circumstance. Freedom in the middle of it. And it is transformative. See, this is why people, you know, and people that I know, we've heard them say, I wouldn't wish this on anybody, but I wouldn't trade this for anything. And we think, I don't understand. I'd trade that in a minute if I were in their shoes. But they know something you and I don't know. They know the transformative power of surrendering to God's grace and power in the middle of their pain. They know what that feels like. They know that God's grace and his strength and his power, they're not just words on a page to them anymore. They're not just concepts and ideas they hear about at church anymore. They're real. 
They're personal. And they have transformed their lives. That's why they would say, I wouldn't trade this for anything. Because before, I just knew of that stuff as a concept. Now I know it at a deep personal level that's changed me forever. So again, I don't know what you need to do with this. I wouldn't push you or try to force you to embrace this idea. I think you've got to come to that on your own with God. But I do know this. It is the only path that I know of to you experiencing freedom in the middle of your in-the-meantime moment. So here's what I want to do as we wrap up. I want to carve out a few moments for you to have a second just to reflect. And I want to invite you to do one of three things here as we create a moment for you to pray, for you to reflect, for you just to be honest with God and talk to God about what's going on in your world. For some of you, you're in the middle of an in-the-meantime moment right now, and this hits really close to home, and everything in you wants to resist what I'm talking about, and I completely understand that. But I want to encourage you to take the next couple moments to be really honest with God about what's going on inside of you, to be really honest with God about how you feel about everything you're dealing with. And if you're to the point where you're willing to embrace this adversity as a gift from your Heavenly Father, then just tell Him that. Not, God, I think you caused it. He probably didn't cause it. But God, I think there's a purpose and a promise in it, so I want to focus on that. Just take these next few minutes to tell Him that. For others of you, You've never experienced God's grace. When I talk about that, you think that's never been personal to you. And maybe the starting point for you is simply to choose today to embrace that. To say, Jesus, I want to give you my life. I want to experience your grace. I need your forgiveness. If that's all you have to say to him, and it's good enough, he brings you right into his family. And he'll become personal to you. Others of you, you're not in the middle of an in the meantime moment right now. But you know somebody who is. And as I've been talking today, somebody who's a friend of yours, a family member, somebody you care about, somebody you work with, they've come to mind. So here's what I want to invite you to do for these next couple of moments. Would you just take a minute to pray for them? And then while you're doing this, while we're sitting here, go ahead and pull out your phone and send them a text. Or send them a direct message. Say, hey, I, I just wanted you to know I was sitting in church. And I heard a message today that made me think about you. And I'm praying you'll experience God's grace and strength and power in the middle of your situation. You have no idea how God might use that to encourage them. Now, if you're like me, you've sat through this whole thing. You've really sat through the first two weeks going, well, this is all well and good, Matt, but what I want to know is what I'm supposed to do because you're ready to do something. I get that. Next week, we're going to get really practical. I'm going to tell you exactly what you can do. But I'm telling you, it doesn't do any good to do anything unless you first choose to surrender. And that's a choice that's personal for every single one of us. So would you pray with me? Father, I don't know where this lands with each of us, but what I do know is we're either in the middle of one of these situations We've come through a situation. We've never let go of the anger and the bitterness and the resentment and the hurt and the jealousy, the pain from it. Or we know somebody who's in the middle of one. So we just want to take these next few moments to personally be as honest with you as we can be. 
about what we're going through, about how we feel. And then hopefully we'll have enough trust just to take the step to embrace whatever the pain is as a gift with a purpose and a promise. Father, for those who are facing such painful situations right now, this is so real and personal to them. For those who are, they just, they want to fight this idea. They just want you to change the situation. I get that. For those who want to embrace this idea, but they just don't know that they've got the ability to do it. Father, first of all, would you just remind them in the middle of their in the meantime moment that you're not absent, you're not apathetic, you're not angry, that your love for them has not changed at all. And that you can take what's so permanent, painful, humiliating, and debilitating, and you can turn it into something good. Give them the wisdom to know what to do with this. Give them the courage to take their situation, to hold it with open hands, and to believe that you have a purpose, that you can bring good from bad, and to believe that your promise really is true that if they'll just acknowledge there's a gap, that they've done all they can do, that you'll step in, you'll do what only you can do. And they'll experience your grace and your power, your strength in a way that's more personal than they've ever experienced before. That's a grace and a strength that they don't just need today. They're gonna need it tomorrow and the next day and the next day. Every day they wake up where this situation isn't any different. But that's the beauty of your grace. It's it's new and it's fresh every single morning. We never exhaust it. So help them to experience that. For those of us who have friends who are in the middle of it, help us to lean into them in such a way that we encourage them, that we support them, 
And when they feel like they're just so empty and they're just so weak, they, they can't go on anymore. Help us to, to know how to loan our strength to them. Help us to know how to respond to them in such a way that your grace can flow through us towards them. Most of all, we're so grateful that you get it. You understand, Jesus, because you lived it. You were not immune. You didn't escape the pain either. So we're so grateful that we follow one who can identify with what we're going through. One who's full of compassion and mercy. And thank you for promising to walk by our side through it all. And it is in your name we pray. Amen.